All right. Good morning, guys. Good morning. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill. And I just want to encourage you guys, if you haven't already, just to find a seat. And I also want to say it is, uh, it is so good to see your smiling faces this morning. Um, I'm excited that numbers continue to go down as far as COVID's concerned and that we're able to make some changes in our church gathering that we believe are, are safe. And so it's exciting to, to see your faces today. Uh, it's something that we haven't been able to say for the last uh, 12 months or so. So we're excited to be together today. Uh, we're excited what God has in store for us. We know that His Spirit is here, that His Spirit is moving and active in our hearts and in our lives and uh, so I believe this morning that if you have ears to hear from him, that he desires and is willing to speak. And so our prayer this morning is that we would hear from God. We don't think that's just something that we say or just an idea that's out there. We believe that God is alive and that he speaks to us and that we can hear from him. And so this morning we pray that your hearts would be open to that. That as, as Jesus continually would say, that we would have ears to hear from him. So I'm going to invite you guys into a season of worship this morning. I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we kick things off with a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful, my God, that we can be together today. God, we're grateful that your spirit is alive and active and that, God, you live inside of us. And so, Father, this morning as we gather under the name of Jesus, Father, we pray that your spirit would speak. And, God, more so, God, we pray that we would hear. God, give us ears to hear. Father, we're grateful for the life and death of, of Jesus and God for his resurrection that shows he is victor, God, not just over sin, but God, even death itself. And so God, in him we find life. God, we find life abundant and full. And God, sometimes this world tries to, tries to tell us, God, the lie that this world has more to offer than Jesus. But God, we know that's not true. So God, help us believe that this morning. God, help us remember that Jesus is better. So Father, we invite you into this place today. God, we have a, a posture of invitation. God, speak to us. God, speak through Brad this morning as he comes and shares from your word. God, may we be encouraged and reminded of your goodness and your grace. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. morning. Our call to worship comes from Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Let's worship, worship together in song. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Psalm 32, 2 through 5 describes the need for us to confess our sins to the Lord and the harmful effects of remaining silent about them. James 5, 15 through 16 exhorts Christians, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you to confess our sins together as a body of believers. We have denied you like Peter turned on back turned our back on you like Judas and doubted you like Thomas. But, but Father, we ask that you forgive us these sins and we come before you confessing our love for you. Father, we thank you for the grace Jesus Christ has provided for us through his eternal sacrifice on the cross. And God, we just confess our selfishness and we give that to you. We ask that you would heal us, forgive us. Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk daily, taking up our cross and being transformed in your image. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Always my most challenging part of the morning is working this microphone, but here we are. So <clears throat> before I get started, you know, we don't have a ton of kids in here with us today, but those who we do have, this story is absolutely for you. And then it's for the rest of us too. And here's the cool thing about this story is our stories are still coming from the Old Testament. So, you know, this isn't directly from the Bible, but this is the way that our friend Sally Lloyd-Jones took this story and kind of uh, put some extra language to it for us. So if you're anything like me, <clears throat> and when you read the Old Testament, sometimes you go, whew, that was like a dry piece of toast with a little bit of cream of tartar on the top. 
you might be saying to yourself, I'm excited to hear this story because I'm excited to hear something, something from the Old Testament that has maybe a little bit more spice to it, okay? So you could imagine this with us today. Now, I think quite possibly I'm the first person in a really long time to get to speak to you without your masks on. So before Brad gets up this morning and he preaches, I want to remind you that your face matters. And we've been hidden behind masks for like a year and a half, right? And we've been able to kind of pout behind our masks or maybe even scowl a little behind our masks. And we've all learned to read each other's faces using our eyes. But I want to remind you that your face matters, right? Your listening face matters. And so as I read to you today, Maybe before Brad comes up to preach the word of God, you can practice your listening face, okay, because it matters this morning. This one is called The Little Servant Girl and the Proud General. Naaman was a very important man in a very important army of a very important country. So you see, he was very, very, very important. But Naaman was sick. He had leprosy, which is a nasty thing that stops you from being able to feel anything. So bits of you just fall off without you noticing, like bashed fingers and smashed toes. Now, that might sound funny, but it wasn't. And Naaman certainly wasn't laughing. There was no cure. It never went away. And in the end, it killed you. Naaman needed help. Now, there was a little slave girl who worked for Naaman, and she knew someone who could help him. But there was a problem. Naaman was her enemy. Not long before this story happens, Naaman had led an army raid on her home in Israel. He had killed her whole family, and he carried her off to Syria, and he made her into his slave. And every night, she cried herself to sleep. She had lost everything. Can you imagine? Your mommy gone, your daddy gone, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles everybody gone. She's by herself. Why would she, of all people, want to help Naaman? Didn't she hate him? And she want to hurt him back? Didn't she want to make him pay for the wrong that he had done? Well, that's what you would expect. That's what some of us would have done. But instead of hating him, she loved him. Instead of hurting him back, she forgave him. I want Naaman to get well, she said to her mistress. There's a man in Israel called Elisha who can heal him. Well, I'll go, said Naaman, loading up his wagons and putting on his flashing armor. But I'll go to the palace because that's where someone important like me gets healed. So he hurried off to Israel and he went straight to the king. My healing, please, he announced. Well, I can do lots of things, the king replied, but only God can heal. What a good king. Just then, a message from Elisha arrived. Send Naaman here, it read. So Naaman hurried off to Elisha's house. But Elisha didn't even come out and greet him. He just sent his servant instead. Doesn't Elisha realize who I am, Naaman thought. But what the servant said next made him even crosser. Crosser is a word that means mad. Wash in there, he said. Can you see? Oh, you cannot see. You are not on the same page that I'm on, but there is a really gross looking river. (laughs) Just wash, Naaman laughed, in that slimy, stinky river. He looked around to see if this was some kind of joke. It wasn't. Oh, any person can wash in a river, he thought. I am Naaman. I am important. I should do something important so God will heal me. And he rode off in a rage. If you're young, rage means I'm really, really mad now. Of course, you and I both know that's not how God does things. All Naaman needed was nothing. It was the one thing Naaman didn't have. 
God knew that Naaman was even sicker on the inside than he was on the outside. Naaman was proud. He thought he didn't need God. His heart didn't work properly. It couldn't feel anything. You see, Naaman had leprosy of the heart. God was not only going to heal Naaman's skin, he was going to heal his pride. Well, Naaman, he finally agreed to wash in the river, and instantly his skin became smooth like a baby. Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. God healed you. You can't pay, Elisha said. It's free. And so it was that a very sick man was healed, all because of a little servant girl who forgave him. And God knew that sin was like leprosy. It stopped his children's hearts from working properly. And in the end, it would kill them. Years later, God was going to send another servant to forgive just as this little girl did. To forgive all of God's children and to heal the terrible sickness in their hearts. Their hearts were broken, but God can mend broken hearts. Pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for that last sentence because it is the best news we could hear today. You can mend broken hearts. And God, in some ways, all of our hearts are broken today. Man, we've already had a morning filled with pride and mess-ups and failures. And I heard in that last song we sing that when you speak, a hundred billion failures just disappear. And God, that is good news for my heart today. And I hope it's good news for all of our hearts. If there's anyone here today, God, that doesn't know that healing in their heart, I pray that they will ask questions and that they will trust you as their Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I had a little flashback as you were doing your voices, and it was, I thought that I was watching Mr. Rogers for a minute, the trolley scene. Did anyone else? Jamie, that was awesome. You're one of our best readers, but you're still not as good as your daughter, Carter. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Carter has the best voices, even better than Miss Jamie. Not that we're comparing. All right. Good to be with you guys today. My name's Brad. I'm one of the elders here. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. Today's message is entitled, The Source of Joy. And so if you need any of that, we're going to be talking about it today. We're in a message series entitled, Follow Me, Learning How to Be with Jesus. Follow me. Learning how to be with Jesus. We usually preach through books of the Bible. Coming up on 10 years as a church since we were started, and we felt like it was a good time to really begin. Here's the deal. I have a sneaking suspicion that many Christians today hang around the church long enough that they pick up on some of the truths of Jesus, but they really never learn how to walk with Jesus. They know the truths of Jesus, but they don't really know how to walk in the way of Jesus. It's kind of like you watched mom and dad for 16 years drive a car. And if you didn't know better, you probably thought, man, that's easy. Maybe even play Grand Theft Auto or, or you play some video game where you're driving a car. And you're like, how hard could this be? And then you get in there and you're like, turn signal up or down, gas or brake. When I'm making the turn, how much do I, I have to do all this at once? And it's a lot harder than it seems. And I think the same is true for the Christian life. Because here's the problem. The Western church has convinced you that showing up on a Sunday and giving a little money and maybe volunteering some of your time is what it means to be a Christian. And those are some of the things that it means to be a Christian. But to be a follower of Jesus means so much more. Because Jesus asked for all of our lives. And that's a really good thing. If you hear that and you say, oh man, he asked for all of my life. Like all of it. And you don't think that's a good thing then you don't really get the gospel. Here's the deal. We're making the promise to you 
that we are never going to ask more of you than what Jesus asks of you. But we're also never going to ask less than what he asks of you. And what he asks is all of our lives surrendered to him day after day after day. That he would say, if you want to follow me, then you have to every day choose to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. Joel Olstein's not going to preach that sermon to you, but the Bible does, and Jesus does. And so it's not a message that you hear regularly, but it is the way of Jesus. And so last week we looked at Mark chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15, which were the theme for this series. And in it, the writer says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Just a real quick summary. As Westerners, we get excited about the action points in that set of scriptures. And so really quickly, we go, man, he appointed twelve to preach and to have authority to cast out demons? Like, that sounds exciting. That sounds like something is about to break loose. I mean, casting out demons? This is like the Christian version of ACDC's Thunderstruck. I mean, this is like something is about to go down. You, 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 know, you know that feeling? Like, what's about... But what we miss out on is the very first thing that he said. We glance right over the fact that he desired them. We go right to preaching, having authority, healing, all the things that we should be doing as believers. But the first thing is he desired them. They hadn't done anything. They were just blue-collar fishermen. They weren't even very good at their trade, at least the, the night that he called them. Did you know that if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you were a follower of him, that God desires you? As my friend Bill likes to say, He is fond of you. That God loves you. He likes you. You're made in His image and He has reconciled you to Himself because of Jesus' work on the cross. God desires you. Not because of anything that you've done. And that's the first step of discipleship that we oftentimes miss. I think it's the engine... That keeps the other cars moving down the track. And if we miss this, we miss the whole point of discipleship. There is no amount of service in our life that matters. Jesus called the disciples to Him so that they might be with Him. So that they might be with Him. Do you know how to be with Jesus? Do you know how to put your phone aside? Do you know how to turn the radio off? Do you know how to sit in silence for more than about eight seconds, which is the human attention span these days? One less second than a goldfish. Do you know how to be with Jesus? Do you know how to meet with Him in the Scriptures and hear His voice? Do you know how to go to Him in prayer? On behalf of others, that you might see him move powerfully? Do you know how to continue to be obedient in the same direction for a long period of time because that's what he's called us to? If you don't, then stop doing anything for Jesus. Stop trying to serve him. Stop trying to add up stars on your Christian discipleship chart because it doesn't matter. First and foremost, Jesus desires that we would be with Him. So, I'm going to get um, somebody to help me out. This last week, I challenged you. And I said, throughout this series, I'm going to be teaching on stuff that's really, fairly simple. Some, the basics of Christianity. And so, last week, I, I challenged you in, to write down your needs. And so, I'm, I'm going to get um, somebody to help me out, if they would. Michael Penn... Would you help me real quick? Just be the microphone runner. You, uh, you know how to work this thing. And um, so, 
if you, how, as you met with Jesus last week, and you wrote down your needs, how did Jesus come and meet with you? As you listed your needs and, and gave them to Him in the midst of your anxiety and all the desires you have in your life and the longings of your heart, and you wrote those needs down, how did Jesus meet with you in the midst of that? Just stick your hand up. Michael will come and bring the mic to you. We want to hear from you. How did Jesus meet with you? Yeah, I, I know a lot of you have stuff because I've already heard from a bunch of the, you this week. So, so <clears throat> my, wife is, my wife's mother has moved here from California and she uh, has Alzheimer's and it's really tough. Last week, mostly the nurses have said she doesn't eat, she doesn't drink, kind of like she's checked out. And she's, she's a Christian, so my wife says, okay, I guess she wants to go home. So, Thursday, we're praying for her, for my wife. <clears throat> and I go about my day, late in the day. My wife tells me that her sister has heard from the nurses that she ate a full breakfast, talking up a storm, just totally different than everything she's been as of early that morning, probably about the same time we were praying. <clears throat> and not that that changes everything about my mother, but or her mother, but it does change the fact that I know God was talking to me and us. So I shared that with our prayer group, but I think he, if you're ever interested, there's a lot of stories around our congregation and about us being in this building that I could tell, share with you that tell me that God has us here for a purpose. And he's reminding us all the time that prayer is our answer. Not a lot of other things that we could throw in place of that. Not a lot of hard work. And I so appreciate what Brad says because it's not about what we do. It's about what he does. Anyway. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Yeah, we were, uh, we praise God that Bill said his mother-in-law had stopped eating and drinking, and on Thursday that she had eaten uh, three solid meals that day uh, after we had prayed for her that morning. Praise God. Somebody else? Jamie? Hands up in the back. Uh, I didn't know that this was a challenge because I wasn't here last week because we had a bunch of um, tiny children who didn't feel well. They had all been sent home from school. For those of you who know us, we have nine children. Uh, we have one adopted, three biological, and then we uh, have brought in a foster group of five, uh, one who's older, but the other ones are tiny. So we went backwards in time. We didn't have any car seats anymore. You know, you feel my pain a little bit there because tiny children need lots of things, right? And uh, they go to daycare during the day, which helps Chris and I do our full-time jobs. Um, but when the daycare closes, which it has several times for some COVID scares and some things like that, we all just hunker down in the house together, right? And this last week was kind of a, a surprise. They felt better by Tuesday and had been fever-free. Um, and I thought, yes, okay, we're going to get our things done this week that need to get done. And we sent them back, and then all the teachers at the school were sick. So they closed the daycare for the whole rest of the week. So I didn't know that this was a challenge. However, I find myself needy a lot. And so just praying to God, like, because I have a, t a tendency for, like, anger to take hold pretty quickly. And my, my personality, things aren't going my way. It's not in my control. I get pretty, you know, frustrated and pretty angry pretty quickly and those kinds of things. And those things in your home can just kind of cycle and spin, right? And you just, it, it's hard to come back out of that when you're just all hunkered together for hours upon hours upon hours. And I can't, t I won't go into like specific, like, and then so-and-so did such-and-such and that. It was just, it was an okay week. 
And sometimes that's what it is, right? It doesn't end up being this beautiful, like magnificent, like there were miracles and, you know, the children like played for hours upon hours by themselves, but it was just a week that was just okay and it was fine. And we were all together and there were a lot, there was lots of patience and there was big kids like pitching in to do things, even when they had their own school and things to do. And God just met me daily in those, those needs as I was super needy every morning and his mercies were just new every single morning. Amen. It's awesome. Anybody else? Caleb? Um, so there were two sort of really big things um, in my life this week, uh, just where I've been needy. I've been uh, feeling particularly um, spiritually weak, and like not the sort of weakness in the way that like, you know, um, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, but just more so just spiritually lacking. And so I've been asking God for just restoration and just for reinvigoration of just of my, of my faith and my willingness to go and meet with him. And so um, every morning, um, at least since Tuesday, when we had missional community, we talked about ways in which we find God. I'll uh, sit crisscross applesauce, like on my bed, my back straight, and get in a posture of prayer. Uh, that's my prayer posture. So I'll just ask God to just come in and, um, and just make some changes or just let me know. I needed, what I really needed was assurance. Um, I needed some, some pretty big levels of assurance in my life that, that what I was going through was uh, not for naught. Um, and so out of nowhere, um, the next morning, I think it was, uh, I decided to go for a run. I went uh, Overton Park and I ran a mile, uh, which is a big deal for me because I haven't run in about three years. <laughs> so I go for that run and it's a beautiful morning. And um, I, I'm listening to a lot of my old worship playlists as I'm going for that run. And uh, I get a text message from um, this really prominent gospel musician that I know back in DC, which is where I go to school. And that felt like a really big sign of assurance that there was, um, that there was something for me at the end of this very intense journey that I'm going through. Um, and it was really good because, uh, we started talking about some music that I had been listening to and I come to find out that he'd actually been at a dinner with the artist of the music that I was listening to, which was a really big sort of coincidence there. And I was like, huh, that's, that's funny. Okay. And, um, you know, coincidences are just God winking at you. Um, so the second big thing, and this was probably the biggest thing that I took with me, I'm at work, I started a new job at FedEx, and so I'm in one of the trailers, hot as all get out, um, I'm, I'm sweating, like throwing these boxes, and I'm praying as I'm working, just because there's nothing really else to do other than talk with God, and um, I hear this very, very clearly, just clear as day, that resilience is rewarded, and um, honestly, that was about enough assurance that I needed to continue going where I'm going, just that resilience is rewarded. And so that's stuck with me. And so that's something new for me to chew on and take with me as I go through this. So if there's anything that you take away from me, it's just that I know that he knows that um, resilience is rewarded. So keep going. Amen. All right. Anybody else? All right. Thanks, Michael. Help, uh, some, one more? One more. Yep. Sure. Michael's getting his steps in today. Um, mine is a very, was a very physical need. I got a job in Oxford, Mississippi, and it starts um, the second week of June, and I needed an apartment, like, ASAP. Um, and God just met me, and he gave me an apartment last week, and I have roommates that I've never met, but I'm just trusting that um, since he's provided this far, like, he'll keep providing. So it was a very, very real physical need that he just met very quickly, and I'm very thankful for that. That's awesome. Really appreciate that. Yeah, we talked about that last week. Your parents were here. Yep, that is so cool that God meets these needs in our life. We need to be reminded of these things. You know, a year ago, none of you were here. Now, I don't know if you remember that or not, because you weren't here. <laughs> none of you were here a year ago. You were sitting at home watching a live stream. It was 89 degrees in this building every Sunday. Not only was COVID happening and everyone went home and we weren't even meeting with masks on, but we didn't have air conditioning. Remember that, Jason? It was hot and stanky in here. Yes? Yes. And so we are... God meets needs in our life. So grateful to be able to see your smiling faces today. I can see when, now when I share a joke and no one laughs, I'll know that no one laughs because my jokes are never funny, but I'll at least get to know that. So, see, I just did one. All right, 
So let's jump in. John 15. And uh, we're going to continue to... I'm going to continue to challenge you to make the way in which you would walk in the way of Jesus tangible. Not legalistic, but tangible each week. Today we're looking at Jesus' final words to His disciples about how they were how they'll be able to be with him after he's gone. And that's a big question that all of us have. Oh, it's easy for the disciples. He was there. He said, follow me. He meant it literally. He says to us, follow me. And he's not here. How do we do that? Well, he tells us how in this passage. He shows us how to be with Jesus. The big idea is this. Abiding in Jesus is a partnership. It's a partnership that results in kingdom fruit and unmistakable joy. It's a partnership, us and Jesus. We both have a part to play. We're going to unpack that. So, um, look at, uh, I'm going to jump through my notes and skip a little bit here. Um, Yeah, let's just go straight to the scriptures. John 15, verses 1 through 5. He begins in verse 1. I'm the vine, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing. The context of this passage is really important. If you think about the context, the disciples are most likely still in the upper room as Jesus shares this. He's washed their feet and He's given them this great example of how He would be the servant of all and He would call them to do the same. That if they would want to be great, that they would not ask to sit on his left and sit on his right, but that the kingdom of God is an upside-down sort of kingdom in which if they would be great, they too would be the servants of all. And then, as they've shared this Last Supper together, there ha- Jesus has shared that there will be a betrayal, that one of the men who are there will betray him. And it, he makes it kind of obvious that it's going to be Judas, and nobody really picks up on it because he's been saying, I'm going to the cross, and no one's figured that out. And then, in the midst of this, he also tells Peter, in all of Peter's boldness, he tells Peter that you will deny me. And so that's the context. That's that's what's just taken place. And the disciples are concerned to hear all of this. And Jesus begins in John 14, verse 1, with these famous words. You, You probably are familiar with them. If you've grown up in church, let not your hearts be troubled. Why would you say that? Because their hearts were troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'll come again to receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. The disciples are concerned that Jesus is telling them, you're gonna, somebody's going to betray me. Somebody's going to deny me. I'm going to go to the cross. They're, you're going to lose me. And they are troubled. And Jesus uses wedding language in order to describe to them how He is going away to create a home for them and that He is coming back to bring them to Himself in order to be in relationship. That's the context. Now in chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus ends with, let us go from here. So they leave the upper room, and I believe they most likely go to the temple court before they head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus would often use uh, the environment that was around him in order to create parables or analogies or stories that he would use to teach. And there, Josephus, the great historian, tells us that In the temple court, there was a huge golden vine that hung over the entrance to the Jerusalem temple. It was huge. The gate opening into the building was completely overlaid with gold. And the whole wall around it was overlaid with gold. 
Above it were golden vines from which hung grape clusters that were the size of a man. That's how large these golden vines were. I believe that it's a possibility, if not even likely, that in that context, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is pointing out that God is the gardener of our lives. That means that our fruitfulness is completely up to Him. He's the gardener and we are servants who are under His authority. We're taking instructions. We aren't in charge. We are planted where He places us and completely dependent upon Him for nutrition and for water and for growth. God is the gardener. And as we think about if God is the gardener, what it means for us to abide in Jesus, first we see that abiding requires daily surrender. Abiding requires daily surrender. I think there, there are too many churchgoers who think the Christian life is surrendering to God for salvation from their past sin, but then something happens along the way and like little kids... Like little kids, we declare, you're not the boss of me. Except we do it to God. You're not the boss of me. And we don't even know we're doing it. Y'all, do y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about with little kids? You ever say that to your mom and dad? I'm going to be honest with you. Yep, I'm with you. I never said that to my mom and dad. Because I knew if I said that to my mom and dad... I don't know what it was like at your house if you were going to hear those belt loops whistling. You know what I'm talking about? For me, the worst was, you go get the paddle. Like, for real? For, like, you going to make me go get... Or I've got some friends who Granny said, you go pick a switch. And, that, and I think there was lots of trauma around that because if, if it was too big, but then if it was too small, Granny was going to pick it. So... We know how we deal with that as kids, right? Like, we look and we say, at some point in time, whether we do it on the outside or the inside, we look at the authority that's around us and we say, you're not the boss of me. Don't kid yourselves in thinking that all of that is gone just because you've come to know Jesus. There is a natural bent within our hearts that continues to fight against authority. Case in point, COVID and masks. (laughs) I'm just going to leave it at that. There is something within us that says, I want my way. And we fight for that. And it happens in our lives in these really, I don't think it's this conscientious, I'm just trying to be rebellious. I think it comes, and, and I've talked to some of you and they've said, Some of you have said, you know, I look back at my life and I realized that it was when I got my degree that I just kind of said, okay, God, I think I got this. Like I didn't, like you said, you didn't say that out loud, but you look back at your life and you go, got my degree, got a good job and said, I don't really need to be dependent upon God anymore. For some of you, it's that you did some really bold things for God. And that you were really courageous. And then there came a point in time in which you just kind of drew a line in the sand and said, God, that's all I got. I'm not going to keep doing this. I think it happens in a hundred different ways in our lives. But that we look at God and we stop this process of daily surrendering to Him. For some of us, to be honest, it comes when when we get comfortable financially. And when we get a lot of money, you know what we start to do? We stop being generous. The people who are the most generous are oftentimes those who have the least. When we start to get more money, our mindset shifts and we go, i got to figure out a way to protect this stuff. And we begin to say, God, I've got this. There's no reason for me to continue to surrender to you. Life, I've got this plan laid out of what life is going to look like. In verse 2 he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is describing the process of what we would do in like a spring pruning. The old dead branches, I just did this to my boxwoods. The old dead branches that are at the bottom, they're just, it's, I'm not a gardener. Even I can tell. These are obviously dead. There is nothing that they are going to do other than just be here and, and take away space. Where, other, where oxygen can't get here, where sunlight can't get here, and so I'm going to prune them because they are dead. So we take those away. That would be Judas Iscariot, prime example. He's taken away. But he says there are other branches that do bear fruit. Every true follower of Jesus, he prunes so that they will bear more fruit. Without cutting a branch back, you will not get new growth. You're going to get this... Oh, continued wild and long growth, but it won't produce good fruit. And this is where most people get confused, I think, when it comes to this text. The second thing we see that in abiding in Jesus is that abiding results in daily pruning. Abiding results in daily pruning. The Greek word here, Kathero can also mean to clean or to purify. Jesus uses a kind of play on words because in verse 3 he says, You're already clean, which is katheros. And Jesus is saying here that the Father's purpose is loving. The Father's purpose in pruning us is to love us. So that every branch will be more fruitful. But that doesn't mean that God's pruning process in our life isn't painful. And there's a couple of different types of pruning that take place. If you look this passage up in, in John chapter 15, if you read seven different commentaries, you're going to get seven different takes on some of the minor things that are going on. But it's pretty obvious here, if you just take the example for what it is when it comes to pruning, that some theologians instantly say, well, there's nothing in this context of this passage that would suggest that Jesus is speaking of pruning as discipline or as experiencing trials or suffering. And that might be true from this context, but certainly there are other passages that would suggest that Jesus at times prunes us through discipline. Turn with me really quickly to Hebrews chapter 12. Or, if you're an auditory learner, just listen as I read. Hebrews 12, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Man, that's why I think Paul wrote Hebrews. <laughs> like, that's a bold statement. Did you hear what he said? When you find yourself whining, and you need somebody to give you a good Spiritual kick in the rear. You read Hebrews 12 verse 4 to them. In your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You got somebody in discipleship. Who's like. Oh man my life's just so bad. It's just so bad. The writer of Hebrews said. Are you bleeding yet for Jesus? If you're not bleeding yet for him. You haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Whoever's writing this is bold. That's a strong statement, right? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is just practical wisdom right here. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. 
but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The writer is saying that if your father loves you, he's going to discipline you. Your earthly father. And when you get older, you look back and you respect him. And he doesn't do it perfectly. You know, all dads, there's some time in which we discipline out of anger or we discipline even for something you didn't do. But when you get older, you're going to be honest and look back and go, man, he spanked me. I didn't even do it that time, but he didn't catch me these other five times. So, I mean, I, I deserved it. Right? Right? I mean, you look back and you see that if your dad loves you, he's going to discipline you. And discipline's a lot more than spanking. Like, spanking's the easy part of discipline, if you even believe in spanking. There's lots of different forms of discipline. Um, when your kids get to be about 10, spanking doesn't even work anymore. They're like, can I get a spanking? I'm like, no, you're going to be grounded for three days, and uh, we, we're going to have to make this last a lot longer, you know. And it's going to be worse on me than it's going to be on you. <laughs> God disciplines us because He loves us. His pruning at times is discipline. Many of the things that you are praying for God to heal in your life or God to take away or God to deliver you from are the very things that God wants to use to prune you and to increase your fruitfulness as He transforms you more and more into the image of His Son. Let me say that again. The very things that you are praying that God would heal and change and release you from are some of the things, oftentimes the main things, that God is using in your life in order to prune you that He would transform you to be more in the likeness of His Son. We're going to talk about that more in the weeks to come. Jesus does this in our lives. I tell my kids that half my job as a parent is just to, just to be nosy and to create problems. Half my job as a parent is to be nosy and to create problems. I tell them that all the time. And, and I'm, not, I'm not, this has nothing to do with my kids. That's your job as a parent too. And that's what your parents did to you. They were nosy and they created problems. Because you didn't think that some of these things were a problem until mom and dad said, you get this room cleaned up or you're not going out Friday night. And all of a sudden your room became a problem. Right? You create problems for your kids because they don't see them to be problems. And all you're doing is teaching them how to... You're keeping them alive and you're teaching them how to be decent human beings. Right? Who have some character and know how to wash their clothes and put on deodorant. And You see that I have some middle schoolers. Now, God is doing that in our lives. I'm not talking about my kids. I'm talking about all our kids, right? God is doing that in our lives. Jesus does this to us. So we see that one form of pruning is he's taking the suffering and the trials that we experience that he allows. Now that's not to say that God uh, wills or desires sin. Okay, I'm not saying every trial that we face, but many of them. But there's also a second pruning that God does in our lives on a daily basis that comes as we remain in the vine. And I would suggest that this can't happen apart from both the word and the church. As we remain in Jesus on a daily basis. As we surrender our lives to Him. As we meet Him in the Scriptures, in prayer, and through the church. Jesus transforms us. But here's a key. You cannot show me a healthy Christian. Who is only in the Scriptures alone. Or only in the church body alone. It takes both. You show me one or the other. They're always unhealthy. You show me somebody who says. Man I can follow Jesus better than anybody else. I'm like who are you following Jesus with? Oh, I do it all by myself. Well there you go. There you go. Put some other people in that relationship. And see how God begins to sharpen you. How he begins to sanctify you. But then you also have people who are like, man, I'm just all about just friends and community and I'm always needy and I always need to be around people. Do you ever take those needs to God? Do you ever meet with God in the Word? Do you ever talk to God about these needs? Or do you just talk to people about these needs? 
Henry Nouwen always said, be weary of the person who cannot live without community. Be weary of the person who has to be in community all the time and never takes their needs to God. God prunes us on a daily basis as we meet with Him. Now, look at the beauty of this passage. Jesus is saying that as we remain in the vine, in the branches, it's, it's us that produce fruit. That as we remain in the vine, He produces fruit through our lives. That's an incredible partnership. We've got millennials who are out here who are... They're going to spend the next decades of their life trying to live their best life, trying to figure out what they can do that they're passionate about. They don't care about how much it makes an hour. They don't care about if you need a degree. They just, they want to use their gifting and they want to make a difference in this life. That's all of us, not just millennials. I heard a story last week. Cher is 75 years old. You know the singer Cher? For the last four years... She has been trying to get an elephant freed from captivity. And she's freed this elephant. And that's what she's working on. That's what, at 75, with all that she has, she is still seeking significance. And she is finding it and getting a single elephant freed. Good for that elephant. That elephant's going to die. I don't mean to be harsh. I hope that we're living for a whole lot more than freeing an elephant. Do you realize that if you remain in the vine, God will use not my life, not your discipler's life, not that person that you look up to who is a youth minister or a college minister. God will use your life as you share your story of Jesus to transform someone else's life and they will come to know God and they will move from darkness to light. Just like Tammy was sharing this morning with a band about, she said, before I knew Jesus, it wasn't that my life wasn't working. I didn't want to live. It wasn't worth living and I didn't want to live. Do you know, like, we are looking to make a difference in this world by the right career. Listen, folks, you're going to have a lot of jobs. You're probably going to have a lot of careers. That's crazy, but that's the society we live in today. Listen, your kids, they're going to come and they're going to go. And if they don't go, that's a whole other problem we need to talk about, but that's another message. Listen, there's a lot of things that you can begin to focus on in this life that the world tells you matters. Sherwin-Williams will send you a new paint color every week. And tempt you to go and repaint your house for the seventh time. It does not matter. Only Jesus matters. Do you live your life in that way? That's what we're getting at in this series. It only comes as we surrender to Him. And as we remain in Him. Now, I've created a problem for you. The problem is this. You don't know how to remain in Him. Okay? So I'm going to give you a challenge this week that's going to encourage you to remain in Him. The majority of us don't know how to remain in Jesus. If you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. How many of you, don't raise your hands, it's rhetorical. How many of you did the homework I gave last week? How many of you actually spent the time to write down your needs? Here's what I know to be true. If you didn't spend the time to even write your needs down, you're not interested in growing in Jesus. It reveals your heart. I used to, when I first got in the ministry, I had a friend who was a counselor. And I said, hey, I'm doing all this premarital counseling, this marriage counseling. I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. I've only been married a few years. My marriage isn't that great. Will you help? Like, what are some things that I can do with these couples who need so much? He said, give them homework. I said, why? He said, I give every a couple who's either getting ready for marriage or struggling in their marriage, homework. I said, why? He said, if they don't do the homework, then I can't help them. Explain this to me. What do you mean if they don't do the homework, you can't help them? He said, if they don't even care enough about their relationship to work on it at home, there's nothing that I can do or say to change their hearts. That tells me where their heart is at. And some of y'all are like, man, I want to follow Jesus. And you want to follow Jesus about like you want to get healthy. And go to the gym. You want to go to the gym. 
you got a Planet Fitness membership, and $7 gets drafted from your account every month. How many times do you go? How many times a week do you exercise? You're like, okay, maybe I don't want to get healthy. The same thing for walking with Jesus. Do you want to follow Him? It's that simple. If you want to follow... And I don't mean it in... I don't mean this in the kind of way that you grew up in, in the religious South, which is like legalism and like check the box. I mean, I grew up going to this church where we had these little offering envelopes and every week you would check, I read my Sunday school lesson, I read my Bible daily, I'm giving an offering. It was like, I mean, there was everything on there. Spoken tongues this week, like that one wasn't, but it was crazy. Like, and then somebody would sit at a desk and add all this stuff up. Like, we think we can come up with a formula for following Jesus. We can't. But listen, folks, here's the deal. Abiding only comes in partnership with the Holy Spirit. You need, please hear this. I'm not asking you to work harder. The church has been asking you to work harder your whole life. Abiding only comes in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean. We don't save ourselves. Isn't it interesting where this passage is set up? Just really quick. i got, I got a... I've gone too long. I've got to bring this to a close. Listen, John 15, isn't it interesting that Jesus says abide? What's he just talked about in John 14? He said, y'all are troubled. I'm about to go away. I'm going to send a spirit who's going to be a comforter. Hmm. Might that be a hint as to how to abide? What's John 16? Here's how the spirit's going to work. John 15, remaining in the vine, is smack dab in the middle of a promise for the spirit and then telling how the Holy Spirit's going to work. Why do we think that, that we need the Spirit in order to come to know Jesus? Like, we can't come to know Jesus on our own, right? But then we think we can grow up into Jesus without the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to know how to abide and how to remain. The disciples' lives were radically changed, not when Jesus commanded them to abide... The disciples' lives were radically changed after they had utterly failed. And they had come to the end of themselves. And they had walked away from Jesus. And they had no hope. And in that moment of utter failure, Jesus sent the Spirit. And when they learned how to surrender their lives to the Spirit through prayer, they're in the upper room, they're waiting the whole day, they're preparing their hearts. And when the Spirit comes... Jesus breaks out at Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved. The church is born. And the disciples' lives are radically changed for all the rest of their lives. And they end up bearing fruit. Why? Because the Spirit was what was missing. The Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. I'm going I'm to end with an illustration that you may think is simplistic, you may even think it's silly, that's fine. I hope that you will take it with you. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, I've got 100 copies ordered for the church. They're free. They're going to be on the way in the next few weeks or months. And uh, I hope that we'll have a chance to read this book, Gentle and Lowly, by Dane Ortland. In the book, he writes that the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Spirit does is... The Spirit causes us to actually feel Christ's heart for us. And I think that's something that most of us struggle with. We know all these things that the Spirit does. But it's the Holy Spirit who actually gives us an awareness of God's love for us in the way that He loves us. And I want to illustrate it to you in this way. I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us what I want to describe as puppy power. Okay? We got a new puppy yesterday. I knew this was coming. I want to show you a picture of our puppy. Actually, I think I might have a video of our puppy. She is a chocolate lab named Sadie. This is her. You can let that play again. You can let just the cuteness play one more time. Okay, now I got a couple pictures for you of Sadie. She's a female chocolate lab. I didn't hear you. 
I think I have one more. Okay. Here's what I know about puppies. Puppies have this power within them that no matter how many things they tear up, how long they keep you up at night, they have accidents along the way, but at the end of the day, what do we all say about puppies? It's puppy power. I don't know what it is. This is this morning. My wife took this picture. She probably got four hours of sleep last night. Right? Because this puppy was up all night, off and on. And what? And we love her. Because she has puppy power. The Holy Spirit reminds you that when God looks at you, He loves you in a greater way than you love this puppy. Because of Jesus' work on the cross. That when God looks at you, He knows that you're going to have some accidents along the way. That you're going to mess some stuff up. That you're going to chew some stuff up and destroy some things. But that there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from His love for you. Because of Jesus. Most of us don't believe that. So here's the challenge this week. I want you to take one of the needs, maybe the greatest, that you wrote down last week. And every day this week, I want you to bring it to Jesus. And I want you to bring it to Jesus with your puppy power. Meaning, I want you to bring this need to God and say, God, I know you love me because of Jesus. I know you're for me. And so God, in light of that, what are you calling me to do in light of this need? God, is this a need you want to heal? God, is this a need that you have in my life for pruning? God, is this a need that you want to reconcile? God, you are for me and not against me. How are you meeting me in the midst of this great need in my life? God loves you. He always has. He always will. That's enough for this week. Grab um, your communion. If you would, communion is found in the baskets at the end of each of your pews. I'm going to ask Caleb to come up and join me if you would. And, um, you know, oftentimes when, when we think about our needs, I was thinking about communion this week, and I thought, you know, oftentimes we can get so caught up in our needs that we kind of forget that our greatest need the eternal ache of our souls for all of those who are followers of Jesus, it's already been satisfied. And so let me invite you, as you take this little wafer that's on top, yeah, we got a lot of needs that are in front of us. We always have. We always will have a lot of needs. But the greatest need of our hearts has been satisfied. His name is Jesus. Taste and see that He is good. We remember that because His blood was poured out for us, as we surrender our lives to Him and walk in obedience, the results of His blood are salvation and joy. Drink of the joy of Jesus Christ. Bow and pray with me. Father, thank You that You have loved us with an everlasting love. That You have sent Your Spirit Spirit, and that you have said that it is better that you would go away and that your spirit is here that you are you are loving us you are comforting us you're encouraging us you're disciplining us as a loving father disciplines his children god you're pruning us i pray for those individuals who are here this morning god some of us have been fighting against your pruning God, we have just been uh, fighting against it for so long. I pray that today that we might surrender. God, I pray for those who are unwilling to surrender to your pruning, that they would keep reading this chapter and see that 
that dead branches you throw away and burn. God, let us not be those who are found to be fruitless. God, help us to walk in you obediently day by day, knowing you, surrendering our lives to you, following you, and finding joy in you. Not in things that are temporal. Not in what the world says will bring us happiness. But finding joy in you. So today, God, as we sing this song, may we hear and be reminded of how much you love us. And God, allow that love to produce trust in our hearts that we might obey you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Stand together with us and let's sing together. you guys uh, again for joining us today. Um, a couple of real quick announcements before we, uh, before we dismiss. Um, these communion cups are wonderful. Helps us be able to share communion in a COVID safe way. Um, and we've got a great facilities team who loves to keep this place clean and so we want to help them out as much as we can. So if you can remember uh, to grab your cup on your way out and there's some trash cans in the hallway as you exit. So just throw these away for us. That would be super helpful. Um, our missional communities, Brad mentioned uh, briefly in his sermon, just the importance of community. And so we meet uh, not only on Sundays. This isn't where the church stops, of course. Uh, we continue to be the church throughout the week, and we also continue to meet together. So we meet as missional communities. I believe our missional communities are meeting in person again. Um, and so we want to encourage you, if you're not plugged in and involved in a missional community, uh, please do that. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about that, you can go to our website, mercyhillmemphis.org. You can also find me or find Brad after the service. We'd love to tell you more about him. Our benediction this morning is found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. I'm going to invite you guys to extend your hands and receive this word. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you guys again for joining us here this month.